Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by BetterHelp. Here at The Underdog, we know life can be difficult, and sometimes you need to talk to someone. That's why we have partnered with BetterHelp, the leader in online therapy. Underdog listeners can save 10% on their first month. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash underdog. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash underdog to get your discount today. This is a special episode. Typically, the goal for the Underdog Podcast and most podcasts is to keep each episode timeless. However, in the wake of what's going on with COVID-19, we had the chance to sit down with Dr. Jessica Evans, an emergency medicine physician. While we're going to take a deep dive into Jessica's life journey, we'll also touch on COVID-19 and her thoughts on the pandemic. Welcome to the UDP, Jessica. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, you know, for taking time uh, out of your busy schedule, as I know a lot, lots going on right now, but um, we really want to, you know, give, the, give some value to our listeners for those who are going to be listening. Um, and really with the underdog, as I kind of mentioned, we like to uh, really dive really into your story, uh, your journey. You know, uh, we don't have to necessarily go all the way back to childhood, but I know, um, you know, before you really started practicing medicine, uh, you know, you mentioned that 2015 for yourself uh, was kind of a tough year. Um, and then you were, you you know, essentially have been able to kind of overcome that. But can you take us back to, you know, that moment early 2015, kind of when you're, you, you know, things were a little bit more on the difficult side? Yeah. So um, in reference at that time, I had just been finishing my emergency medicine residency. So the years before 2015 were um, basically just spent, you know, in medical school and residency. And I was just constantly um, studying and working and things like that. You know, we're working 80 hour weeks. So it was kind of stressful or a whirlwind. Um, but during that time, I had gotten married. Um, and in 2015, it started off with. Um, some rocky issues there in our marriage. Uh, we had some issues uh, trying to have a baby and had a miscarriage and things like that. And then he uh, started cheating and lying. Um, so there was this huge thing going on for about a year in my life, um, in my personal life. And then um, I had a couple deaths in the family unexpected right around the same time. And then he, my ex-husband actually just left. Um, right after that, I had both my parents diagnosed with cancer and my mom almost died when she went through her first treatment of chemotherapy. And actually, it was like in the same month that I had to take my board exam. So there was a lot going on, a lot of stress. Um, you know, I became pretty depressed with, you know, how life was going and things like that. So I basically would just dive into my work and I was only working and then sleeping. Um, and that was my 
you know, beginning of my first year out of residency as an attending at that point. So um, I was working a lot. And at a certain point after, you know, a few months, I kind of looked at myself and thought, this really isn't any way to live. You know, just I'm constantly upset. Uh, so many stressors going on and I'm only working and sleeping and I don't feel like I'm I'm truly living my life right now. When when you're going through all this adversity, just to jump in here, Jessica, um, which is tremendous amount of things that were going on, how did you, you know, getting out of residency, I know that's a huge task, getting out of residency, you said miscarriage, husband's leaving, mom almost dies from chemo, other significant others are passing away, either, you know, unexpectedly. How did you, I mean, what were some of the, what got you through to uh, persevere through this? Well, um, in the beginning, it was just like I tried to constantly make myself busy with work, like I said, mm -hmm. so that I didn't have enough time to think about it. And I did, um, I did go to counseling to help me out in that aspect so I can try and talk through things, um, get some of my emotions out. And also in the meantime, kind of discuss what I can do to feel better, improve my life what I can do in the future when I look at future partners so that I'm not stuck in a, the same situation again or things like that. Um, so initially that's what I did. Uh, after several months of feeling like that, I decided that I needed to have things to look forward to so that maybe I could get back to feeling happy again and feeling excited about something. So I created what I call the year of the bucket list, where I wrote down a bunch of ideas of stuff that I always wanted to do and never did, um, either because I thought that, you know, I couldn't physically do them or because I didn't have someone to do them with me or like stuff that my um, I had wanted to do with my ex-husband and, and he never wanted to do. So I just never did it. So I, I created this list. And then I planned like at least one thing every month. That way it would keep me looking forward to something. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here, but um, assuming you probably decided to want to want to, you know, get into the medical field because you at some some level want to help people want to be able to, you know, help people overcome whatever they're going through. Um, and as you were going through all of this and as you're, you know, you, you start to come out on the other side, did your sense of, you know, wanting to really help people or did you kind of, did your mindset really shift when you were now, you know, you know, officially a doctor and really seeing that you could add value in your life Did, did going through all of that really kind of change your mindset? Um, going through that, I would say I'm, I'm not sure if it changed my mindset as much as it it reinforced my um, want and drive to like help others, but it also helped me to, I guess, see things from other people's perspectives as well um, because I didn't really, you know, have many hardships in my life before that. You know, I had a happy childhood you know, I did well in college and it really didn't have many issues. And so then going through all that, it made me appreciate what I have. And it made me, I guess, more sympathetic or empathetic towards 
others and what others are going through. No, that's great. And I have a little bit maybe on the lighter side here question. Um, what was on that bucket list again? <laughs> she, yeah. what are the few she things giggled. That, that were on there yeah she did giggle. so yeah so i giggled because there are there are some crazy things on that bucket list but there are there are small things so just like a, an example of a couple small things would be um that i wanted to i always wanted to go one of those like painting classes so i did that i did like a cooking class and i went to the movies alone which was like huge for me because i'm an introvert um, and I learned to drive stick shift. So like those were some of the little things. And then some of my big things were um, I started traveling more and I went skydiving in Australia. I got um, certified for scuba diving and I was able to scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef. I went bungee jumping in New Zealand. I went running with the bulls in Pamplona, Italy. Or sorry, Spain. Wow, this bucket list is pretty serious, um, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I did a lot of things. So most of those things were within a year, and I think I did. Um, I did other things, like I did a hot air balloon ride in Sedona, Arizona, and like a helicopter ride up the Grand Canyon. So I did like I had this list of like adrenaline seeking adventures that I had always wanted to do, but. I'm afraid of heights. So I was, I was scared to do these things. But after I went through what I went through, I was like, it's stupid to let an irrational fear keep me from like living my life. I need to just get out there and do it. So I did some of those things um, as well as then I said, like some little things, but then I continued, um, I continued my list. I really did it every month for a year. I did something and that really pulled me out of my funk, I guess you would say, of what I was going through. It, it helped me, you know, to find out who I was again and things um, and just appreciate life again. But since then, I've also, you know, continued doing things like I went hang gliding in Brazil. So that was a lot of fun. And I went cage diving with sharks. So I've continued to do Man, things. If, um, if like anyone that. feels bad about like I'm how many months are in a I year? wish I wish I could <laughs> I wish I could do half the things you did. Wow, that is incredible. Like diving yeah. with sharks and hang gliding and skydiving and running with the bulls. Helicopter I mean, rides over the Grand Canyon. Like I thought I, I'm trying to accomplish this in maybe my whole lifetime and she did it you did this all within a year or two? Well, um most of, of it was in the first year, but then um like I did both the hang gliding and the, and the cage diving like this year. Those were like my last of my adrenaline seeking things that I was like, okay, I want to get this done, you know, before I eventually have children <laughs> and things like that. Then you got to worry about, you don't want to leave your child without a parent and stuff. So, um, and doing a little bit of research real quick, you said something about you're an introvert. I didn't know introverts could be college cheerleaders. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, so our, our, our director here, Miss Tiffany Feely, is a former cheerleader with you. And before you say what you're going to say, they both went to Heidelberg, and we're not saying the mascot name. If someone can message us through one of our platforms and tell us what the mascot of Heidelberg is, we're going to send a T-shirt. We'll do that. And a hundred bucks. It's amazing. Yeah. Just the name is incredible. No, not a hundred bucks, everybody. <laughs> 
the first one, maybe. We'll just we'll we'll give twenty five dollars. It's easy. We're, right, we're on a right. tight budget here, right, Mr. Blackman. Right. I'll back out of that one. Man, he's making it rain, Patrick. What are we gonna do here? Um, but yeah, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to throw that out there because I found this mascot extremely, extremely curious. So make sure you don't uh, you know tell the name. So go ahead. Sorry. Oh, so yeah, so I'm an introvert by nature, but. Um, there's kind of a class of introverts that we say we're introverts posing as extroverts um, because uh, introvert just means when you're around other people, you get like your energy gets sucked out of you. Um, you, you get uh, revitalized, I guess, when you're at home alone um, and sometimes uh, situations, public situations can cause a lot of anxiety. So I always have had issues with feeling anxiety and stuff in public. And because of that, at some point in my life, I guess it was in high school, I took a, a speech class, like public speaking, because I was like, I need to get over this. And so it forced me to get out there and be able to do things. But that doesn't mean that on the inside, I'm not having anxiety when I do it. So. Wow. Now, so, <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of like you're speechless. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. You're I'm trying happy. to figure out how this all happened. <laughs> Me too. It's okay. <laughs> so, you, you know, moving into, uh, you know, 2016 and 2017, um, you know, being able to accomplish a lot of those things, um, you know, talk a little bit more now as you're starting to move into, you know, 20, 2018, 2019 kind of current time, uh, you were being able, being able to, you know, really rebuild yourself, you know, how, were you able to take those events and then really transition those into your everyday life and, and really kind of open that next, uh, next chapter? Next chapter? Um, okay. So uh, one of the other kind of things that I did um, with my bucket list, like a big thing for me was I started to challenge myself more physically as well. Like I did a marathon. That was my big thing that year. So I ran a marathon. And so since that time, I have been working up to even running like an ultra marathon. And then I got into triathlons and eventually did like a full Ironman. And I would say that had a huge aspect on my or a, a huge impact on my life in that it um, really proved to myself that I'm really I'm a strong person and I can handle whatever comes my way. Um, the other things that I did that involved like heights and things like that was also something that proved to myself that um, even if I'm afraid of doing something, that doesn't mean um, that I can't do it. Like I can, you can be afraid and say, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. And um, so those things really helped shape me into who I am today. And I would say that I'm, I feel I'm a completely different person right now than I was in 2015 or before 2015. What a, I mean, what a blessing, first of all, thank you for being a doctor, but to have a doctor that is this mentally and physically tough, I mean, we need people like that. And obviously through times that we're about to talk about um, with uh, coronavirus, it is, thank goodness we have people like you. Amen for that. So absolutely. Thank you. Let's go ahead and transition to as we wanted, uh, as as Calvin introduced in the in the introduction, I should say, he uh, you know obviously it's prevalent right now. Um, 
very much um, in the marketplace and really affecting on a global scale pandemic. I said it right, Calvin. You so. did. I said it wrong. <laughs> um, but let's let's talk about it. We want to pr- create some value for our listeners, and we're super thankful to have you on. Um, and why don't we just go ahead and, and dive into it? So um, with with everything that's going on, I mean, what are, I mean, I guess in a general state, what, what are some things that you can explain? I know there's a Facebook post that almost had maybe a thousand shares that you had. Kind of talk through... Um, I guess the current state of thoughts about the virus, maybe kind of broad scope, and then we can kind of maybe narrow into some different strategies, but maybe just explain kind of what, from your thoughts of being an emergency physician, um, I got that right. Correct. Emergency medicine, medical (laughs) physician, medicine, medicine physician. So, um, sorry, lots of words (laughs) way way over my head. Yeah. Way over our head. Once again, she's, she's one bad woman in a good way. Um, so I'll, I'll shut up and let you, you, you talk, but, um, anything you can do just kind of high level it. And then, uh, would love to talk some strategy. Okay. So, um, first, you know, let's start talking about what coronavirus is, So coronavirus is actually a group of viruses, and they've been around forever. Normally, the coronavirus that we see in the area just causes like cold-like symptoms, and you're going to think of the common cold. Um, But just like flu or influenza, there's different strains of it. So, you know, in influenza, we have the swine flu. That was really bad. Um, When we had that, that's a different strain of flu. So we have this is... um, COVID-19. That's a strain of the coronavirus. And this specific strain um, originated in China. There are reports that they think it was related to um, coming from bats. And um, this specific one attaches to receptors in your lungs instead of attaching to receptors like in your nasal cavity. So it attaches in the lungs, and that is what is more dangerous because it's causing pneumonia and problems breathing in people. So that is what makes this one more dangerous. And the problem is, is that since, you know, this specific strain hasn't been around before, none of us have immunity to it. So it's really wreaking havoc right now. Um, Let's see. So really uh, in a lot of people, you can just be an asymptomatic carrier, meaning you're not going to have any symptoms, but you can still have the virus. And that's what another aspect that makes it so dangerous, because if you have no symptoms, then you're like, oh, I'm fine. And you're going to go out and go to places you might travel or uh, things like that, but you're going to be spreading it to everyone you come into contact with. And if one of those people you come into contact with has a bad immune system or is elderly, they're going to have a lot more risk than you when they catch it. So we have those asymptomatic carriers. Then you have probably around 80% of the people that get it are going to just have mild symptoms. You might have a cough, congestion, mild fever, you know, sore throat, things like that. Um, And you won't need to be hospitalized. So what we say is these people that have mild symptoms, we want you to just self-quarantine at home because we don't want you spreading it around. And we don't want you coming to the emergency rooms because there's nothing, it's a virus. So there's really nothing that we can do if you're only having mild symptoms. You know, you should stay home, use Tylenol as needed. You can do over-the-counter, you know, cough medicines or things like that. But really you should 
quarantine yourself for at least 14 days. And then you have a group of people, about maybe 14%, are going to need to be just hospitalized um, on the regular floors of the hospital. Meaning these are the people that are going to have maybe a little bit of shortness of breath. They might have pneumonia on their chest x-rays. And they might have a slightly low oxygen level, meaning that they might need um, some supplemental oxygen like, you know, a nasal cannula in your nose or something like that. And then we have the final group of people, which is about 6%. And those people are very severe. They're going to go to the ICU. They're going to need much higher oxygen supplementation and possibly to be intubated, meaning put a tube down their um, throat to help them breathe. So um, that is, those are the ones that are in real danger. And I think from some reports, about half of the people that end up in the ICU um, are dying. So those are the really scary situations. Now, Jessica, from um, mild to severe, so how you explain some of those like, how would you know, like for the average listener here, or this average public, how do you know the difference of when to go, like you said, self-quarantine versus go to a hospital? What were some recommendations on, I mean, I know you said difficult breathing, some of those things, but what, mm-hmm. what are some things that someone listening could then self-quarantine versus, you know, taking up, um, you know, emergency medical staff and, and professionals that need to be caring for those that are in the severe state? Right. I'd say for the most part, it's going to be people who are having problems breathing. So if you start to feel like you're having problems breathing at all, you should immediately seek medical attention. Our concern is is that once you start having problems breathing, you can go kind of downhill more quickly and we would need um, to get oxygen on you and do interventions. Uh, People who also have like bad immune systems, I'm thinking of um, cancer patients on chemotherapy or um, or people with um, HIV or uh, elderly, like over 70, those people, if they um, have any symptoms plus like fever over 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit, they should probably get evaluated by um, emergency medicine or um, possibly by their primary care doctor. But at this time, I think most primary care doctors are telling their patients that if they're having symptoms, they should just go to the emergency department. Um, people like young, young, healthy people um, who just have, you know, a mild cough, congestion, maybe a mild fever, you know, just like around 99, 100. Those are people that they can safely quarantine. But I always tell people things can change at any point. So if you're you're like, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm just going to quarantine. And then after a week, it's like, oh, I'm kind of feeling like I'm having problems breathing. Then at that point, you would seek medical attention. Now, when you, a lot of times you hear, uh, you know, we need to flatten the curve and, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see graphs and different things. Can you kind of explain, you know, to the listener what that truly means? And, you know, maybe, and I know you, 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 you know, it's kind of, it's your opinion and whatnot, but you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, what a potential timeline may look like? I don't know, just kind of mm-hmm. from an average listener's Yeah. So when we talk about flattening the curve, what we're talking about is that we 
we don't want a huge surge of cases all at the same time because we're going to overwhelm our healthcare systems. So that is why we're doing all these things such as can, you know, canceling sports and games and um, events with more than 10 people uh, and also why they, you know, suggest people don't travel and they just stay at home unless it's emergency or they need groceries or things like that. Um, the reason you're doing that is, you know, we don't want to spread the disease anywhere. But the main reason is that if people just continue to do what they're doing, we'll see a huge spike in cases all at the same time. And we won't have enough resources for people in the hospital. So then people will do worse or possibly die because we don't have the ability to take care of them. Because you have to remember, you know, we're still taking care of everyone else that we see all the time. So car accidents, strokes, heart attacks, um, you know, and all minor complaints, broken bones, anything like we still have those patients. They're the constant. And then you're adding in this huge stressor of these new sick people onto the healthcare system. So if we flatten the curve and, and kind of isolate more people so that it's not a huge just spike, it's, it's more um, people are going to get it over time, but they're not all getting it at once then we're going to be able to have our resources to take care of everyone. We'll have enough hospital beds and ICU beds. We'll have enough ventilators. You know, the problem that Italy ran into is that they just had this huge um, spike in cases and they don't have enough ICU beds and ventilators and things like that. So, you know, they're talking over there about having to choose, you know, who lives and who dies because they just don't have the resources. And that's what we don't want to have happen here. Is, you know, I tell people, you know, when you go to the grocery store, all these people ran out and, and bought toilet paper right away. So then you're going to the grocery store like, man, there's no toilet paper for me. <laughs> well, it would be the same thing in the medical field, except it would be ventilators. So if everyone got sick all at the same time, you know, they would come and take up all our ventilators and beds. And then you're coming in and you need a ventilator, but you were too late. They're all taken. And that's what we want to avoid. So um, that's why we're doing, taking such drastic measures, um, trying to get people to quarantine and that kind of stuff so that, so that there's not this huge spike so that we have enough resources to help people. No, thank you. That, this is actually a, a lot of information and really, really good. So thank you for, for all of this. Um, question I have related to uh, critical essential businesses such, of, such as ours, and it's really been difficult to figure out different strategies and would like your kind of insight and input. So we help staff companies like Kroger, which is considered essential from a food source, right, to the communities, right. um, medical device supplies, uh, cleaning supplies such as sanitizers, all things that are critical to help that curve and, and you know, or, or sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, with, you know, those, and this could be, relate to the healthcare, you know, professionals as well, those that have to go to work, um, or need to work because because of the the um, the need of sustainability. Um, mm-hmm. What do you recommend? And I, I'm trying to figure out how, I guess, social distancing and how it's transmitted, and maybe best practice for those, whether like I said, a healthcare professional to anything as a um, essential um, critical supply chain, you know, type employee. Mm-hmm. Um. So, kind of what you want to do 
am I getting this right? You want to know what to do to keep yourself healthy, even though you have, have to go out and work. Correct. Yep. Okay. So, um, I would have a few different recommendations. One is going to be, and you've, you've heard this before is wash your hands or use sanitizer. Um, the problem being that this virus can live on surfaces for quite a long time. And I think it, it lasts on steel and plastic the most. I think plastic up to 72 hours. So you have to remember that whoever's working before you or customers or anyone that's coming in and touching something, um, and then you touch it and then you touch your face. Like you have the potential for exposure there. So you do want to do a lot of hand washing. Um, and then the other part of it is don't touch your face. So keep your hands away from your face. Um, you know, if you're touching things uh, and, and are working and need to do stuff, that's fine. But don't touch your face in between touching objects. Um, so that's going to be one aspect. The other aspect is if the virus is aerosolized and there is kind of back and forth about this of whether it can be traveled in droplets or aerosolized, I think there are certain things like if you do um, like a breathing treatment or something, it's going to aerosolize it, meaning put it up into the air, not just on a surface. But I think kind of the consensus is that just out in the general public, um, you shouldn't be having too much of a problem of someone like breathing and then you walking through the same area and getting it. Now, if someone like coughs in your face, um, that's that's a potential transmission there. Um, but aerosolized, it might be able to last in the air up to three hours. But like I said, um, really, that's when you're giving breathing treatments and stuff. So that's more important, like in the hospital setting, if we're giving some, we shouldn't be giving people breathing treatments. When they come in with this, they have to use just like an inhaler or something like that to help prevent it from going into the air and, uh, you know, us workers catching it. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, other things is, you know, it's very important for definitely the grocery stores and things like that to stay open um, during this time so that people can have their resources. But, um, you know, workers and shoppers just need to be aware of not coming too close to other people. You know, you want to leave a distance between you and another person. I mean, just think of like, um, like a broomstick length, at least between you and another person. And that's going to help protect you more. Oh, no, no that's a great that No, you? yeah, that's great. No, that's, I appreciate that. I think that's very valuable, um, to a lot of people and, and, and definitely for us, uh, as our main profession is, is um, supplying folks in the supply chain. And so we're, we're faced mm -hmm. with that every day. Um, still, you know, all week we've done it and this is, you know, we're, we're continuing to face it forward too. So when do you, <clears throat> you know, and again, this is just, uh, when do you think, when would you, you know, with us practicing, you know, the protocol uh, and doing everything we're doing, you know, what would be just a high level guesstimate of, you know, Hey, I would say in six months, three months, you know, I would think mm -hmm. if we were able to follow these guidelines, we could hopefully come back to some level of normalcy. And I, I put right. no value on that, obviously, for listeners, but just to kind of, I know you're, you know, you're in the medical profession all the time. 
Yeah, that is a hard question to answer because I go back and forth on this myself. Um, There's a few a few different resources out there that are saying completely different things. Um, I would say I would anticipate being, I guess, on quarantine um, definitely through April. And I would say I would say definitely through May. I think we're going to be quarantined at least that long. I question how it's going to be in the summer. There were some reports that possibly with the warmer temperatures, you know, the virus isn't going to do as well. So kind of like um, similar to influenza where it really isn't around in the summer. It's like a seasonal thing. So some people speculate that. Other people are saying that it's going to be a year to 18 months. I really, I I don't think it's going to be a year to 18 months. Um, I'm really hopeful that it's going to start to die down over the summer, especially if, especially if we're being really strict with our quarantine stuff. Um, I would like to see, I think a couple things need to change before we can say um, we're doing the best possible thing we can in that, you know, Ohio's doing a really good job. Ohio is really leading the way in the country on what we're doing because we've been, you know, the first state to like shut down basically everything. And then other states have followed, including like we um, shut down all our sports, all our colleges and that kind of stuff. And then um, I believe California followed closely behind us. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, But I would say the traveling needs to stop. Um, I am curious as to when they're going to start to ban non-emergent flights um, because that is a huge thing. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen on the news all the spring breakers going down to Florida, which I think is bad because even though they're, you know, young and healthy and they're like, oh, there's no risk to me. Like I said, they could be asymptomatic carriers and they're bringing it all over the place with them and and, and moving it across state lines, you know, and things like that. Um, So I'd like to see that happen, um, I guess, first. And then second is I feel like all the states need to unite and basically all do the same thing. And if we all did the same thing at once, and and stop travel i think that the quarantine could be a lot shorter um because then you know essentially um if everyone's at home you have about 14 days um you could give yourself before knowing if you had symptoms because i think you can really be asymptomatic up to like i think 12 days with it so um around day 14 you should know if you have symptoms or not some people will start to get symptoms then so i feel like if we really shut everything down it could all be taken care of in about a month or so um but because i don't i don't think that's going to happen i think it it'll go into the summer you mean the united um, states won't unite <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, we're humor. all doing a little different things. Um, you know, there are some states that have followed and done exactly what we're doing, but not all of them have done that. So we really, we really need everyone, everyone to do the same thing because, you know, like Italy's seen um, at first, you know, they just quarantined the northern part of their country that didn't work. Like people were still traveling to the Southern part of the country. Like if they could get out, they were getting out. And then look what happened. Like the entire country, um, had cases and they're, they're second in the world in cases right now at 40, over 47,000 cases. And they've had over 4,000 deaths. That's a huge death rate for them. 
So um, I really want to avoid what Italy went through in that if we all did it at the same time, it would probably be a better outcome than just, you know, secluding some states, shutting down some states, and then other states where it's, quote unquote, not so bad, they just like keep letting them, you know, keep letting people go do think public things and things like that. It's, it, it might be that it, it's not so bad in that they don't have a lot of positive cases, but that doesn't mean they don't have a lot of cases that have been undetected. So that's part of the problem. Now, is there um, one of the last questions I have here and really appreciate your time once again, is there a vaccination? You know, I hear a lot of stuff out there. Um, is, is there a quote unquote cure or at least a vaccination um, that could help, you know, curb this as well? That's, you know, anything that is going on with that? Yes. So we're currently working on it. So there is a vaccine that's been developed, but they're currently doing their first round of human trials. Um, So I'm not sure how long it will be until that's out because, you know, we have to make sure it's completely safe before they release it to the public. You know, you don't want to have people having a lot of like terrible side effects. Um, So they are doing their first round of human trials right now. So hopefully that's coming. And then that's the other part of it is if we get this vaccine out at some point, you know, the quarantine could be a a lot shorter if we get that out. Um, The other thing is that we're looking into experimental treatments. Um, There have been uh, some studies and stuff coming out of uh, China and other areas of the world of medications that they thought maybe helped and also medications that harmed people. So they are coming out with a few things like that. Um, Number one, I think China found that the people they were putting on high dose steroids, the people that were really sick with lung issues, a lot of times we do steroids with that. Well, those people ended up doing much worse in China. Um, They got infections on top of the virus. So they were saying, okay, we don't want to do steroids in people. Uh, The other thing that came out was there's some talk of some actually medications that are anti-malarial medications that have shown maybe some promise in treatment. Um, I don't think that there is enough evidence yet that it has become a for sure recommendation of, yes, if people get sick, this is what we're going to give them. But it is something I think that is actively being looked at right now. And it it may, you know, things are changing like every single day. So it may come out soon that yes, we're going to start treatments with that. So I keep on the lookout every day. I get like 10 different emails um, with changes and updates of what's happening with the coronavirus and what to do and what not to do. Um, So it it is, I mean, it changes like every hour. Well, I know there's a lot of smart people out there and people with your mindset of, overcoming adversity and uh, working extremely hard. And we're very blessed. And I know it's, it's just a matter of time. So I think mm-hmm. the creating optimism, you know, I think that's something you did to kind of piece this all together through your, you know, hardships in 2015 and adversity, you overcame, you believed in yourself, and you had internal really optimism and just said, Hey, I'm gonna go live my life and, and do the best and be smart. I think that's a lot to what this, at least for me, is at least I can speak for myself. I can't speak for others. But what I listen and your message today with Dr. Evans here is that you, I think there's, you know, people should be optimistic. Be smart now, you know, follow the 
different directives and, and rules. And then, um, you know, believe in the professionals that are out there. We're going we're gonna to figure this thing out and we'll, we're going to persevere. So it's really exciting to me because I think there's a lot of, obviously, I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, and rightfully so, there's a lot of depression and, and anxiety and a lot of concern and it's real, right? And that's, it's rightfully so, but how do we, you know, provide some optimism and hopefully this podcast to say, okay, hey, here's what to do. Here's how to be smart. And then also, hey, there, this, we're, we're going we're gonna to beat this thing. We're going to figure this thing out. And it's just a matter of time. So I think that's what really excites me. I don't know about you, Calvin. No, yeah. I mean, you, you said it all. I think um, <clears throat> this is definitely very informative and, you know, something that gives a lot, uh, you know, just gives a lot of insight, you know, because well, in social media, you, you, I, I got rid of my Facebook for the last week. I, I was just done because I was like, and yeah. you just try not to just take in all this, you know, hearsay from everyone. So again, we just, like Kyle said, we just got to be optimistic and like anything, we'll come through it, you know, um, we'll look back on this episode in a year, in a year, I hope, and say, you know what, mm -hmm. like it was tough times, but here we are, you know, so maybe we can circle back with you and have you as a guest in a year. Uh, we can talk yeah. about, you know, the next big uh, bucket no. list no, yeah, item no, you're going to have. Not, not the next big yeah. pandemic. Okay? No, the next big but, bucket list item you know. she's got. Yeah. yeah. I was no. going to say this um, quarantining is giving me a lot of time to think about that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Well, make sure you stay healthy. I know you guys, you know, once again, thank you so much. I, my mom is a nurse. I have a family of nurses, as I call it. And uh, so does Calvin. So I understand the magnitude of the healthcare professionals. Once again, without you guys, like I said, a lot of folks, it's, you know, it's a blessing that you guys risk what you do. So thank you, Dr. Evans, for everything that you're doing. We're lucky to have you and, um, you know, best of luck, stay healthy. And as Calvin said, let's talk in a year and, and we'll even know what, what last question, what is on your next bucket list item or what is your next item on that list? Oh, um, well, so while I'm being quarantined, <laughs> my next thing to work on during that time is that I'm going to, um, I speak Spanish, but I want to speak Spanish better. So I am working on that. If quarantine gets lifted, um, by the summer, I was taking, my parents and I am, I am remarried and uh, my husband is amazing, but I'm taking, you know, we're going to take my parents and his parents to Scotland and Ireland um, for a big trip because uh, my parents have never gone. His mom's never been out of the country. So that was like a big thing um, for us. So that's next. Well, yeah, let's get this quarantine lifted. Let's figure out how to beat this thing and, right. and get you and your family to Scotland. That'd be great. And round two yeah. of the U round two of the Underdog Podcast, having you on it. Why well, that to your bucket list as well? Absolutely. Once again, thank you, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps, and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.